Um, my topic today is taken from Matthew 16, Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 20. And Matthew is writing about Jesus. And he states here in 13, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea in Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjonas, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. We thank God for his word that he has allowed us to be privileged of the scriptures that reveal him to us. This is the means by which he has shown us the path through Christ to him. But today I want to talk about what we deem as the church. And I've outlined three points here to go to, but I'm not sure if we can cover all three. Unless you have a lot more time, like a day. Because it's rich. And when I say rich, I mean when you start to pull nuggets out of Scripture, you will see how rich it gets. Because when we say the church we have to look at how the church is constructed. The church, one, is the church is divinely instituted. The church is divinely protected. And the church has divine authority. I want to start with the church as being a divinely instituted. You know, when we listen to people and they're talking, they talk about the church... The church this, the church that, the church this is the problem in the church, that's the problem in the church. We have so many problems with the church. And you wonder why we come to church. With all the problems you can find, you know, you have so many problems that you can look at and pinpoint to. And you could say, oh, there's so many problems in the church. But I want to say this. For everyone who speaks of the problems in the church and you are in a church or you belong to a church, we can all say this to answer that question. Why are there problems in the church? And it points back to me. Why? Because I am in the church. So everyone can answer that without pointing fingers at the church. Because the church in a whole is a construct is all of us who make up that block we call the church. So, by answering that question, we see where that comes in. 
Can I ask someone to read Nehemiah 1, chapters 1, 5 to 9, please? Nehemiah chapters 1, 5 to 9. I said 1 to 9 because I wanted to see what path Nehemiah was on. He saw this devastation with the city of Jerusalem and the wall and the temples and he felt heartbroken and he sat and he prayed but this prayer was not just praying for let's say members of the church or members of Jerusalem, you would look and see that Nehemiah also included himself in that prayer. When you read a little further down, you would see Nehemiah put himself with the people, and we could ask the question, where did you see in the scripture that Nehemiah sinned? The Bible doesn't say here Nehemiah sinned, but Nehemiah saw himself as part of that family. And because the family has sinned, he did the same thing. So this is how we have to look at the church as divinely instituted. We also have to look at Isaiah. Can somebody read Isaiah 6, chapter 6, verses 5 to 6? Again, when you go a little further down, see where Isaiah saw himself as a man of unclean lips, but he also saw himself as a mouth of people now with unclean lips. So, if we're looking at this and we say we have a healthy understanding of who God is, like these prophets did, we would see now that the church is not quote unquote problematic. But we, because we are so flaw, flawed in the life we're in right now with our thoughts and our actions, we come together to make this body 
But I want to say there's something here that we could understand, that would help us to understand that because of Christ and his finished work, that blood, we are presented now to God as being what? Flawless. But in this life, we should consider ourselves, yes, still to be flawless, imperfection, trying to be perfect unto him. And you can see why the prophets were doing what they were doing. They were bringing themselves into the mist. So when we see ourselves or the church and we hear people labeling the church as being this or that, we understand why it's being this or that. We don't have to wonder and point fingers along with them because we too are a part of this, what we call the church. When we look at Jesus with the same understanding that God, that Jesus is God, and the same glory Isaiah and Nehemiah understood, we too, the church, should see Jesus in the very same light, in all his glory and divinity. What I'm suggesting here is that I believe that we do play what we call a, a uncle and daddy role when it comes to Jesus and God. We pray to God and we say, God, you are glorious and magnificent and so forth and whatnot. But when it comes to Jesus, we lessen our tone or speech to Jesus. We say, oh, through Jesus. But we have to remember that Jesus now in his glory, because he came from glory, he came here. He divested himself of that glory. He went back to glory. So the same God that we see there with all that glory is the same Jesus that we see with all that glory. So we need to put in our mindset the same glory that we attribute to God, we attribute to not only Jesus, but also to the Holy Spirit. All in that glory and divinity. And then, then, only then, we could be like the prophets, seeing the sinful nature of ourselves when we compare ourselves to Jesus. I spoke about Christ's finished work with our faults and the washing of his blood. That's when we can see the angel touching our lips and we see ourselves as that unclean person with unclean lips. It doesn't mean we, we speak evil of others, but we think sometimes, oh, what an idiot. I, I say to my wife, you know, um, we, we have to stop labeling people. You know, we, we drive and we're in a hurry to go where we're going and we're going fast to nowhere and someone stops. And we have no idea what they're going through at that point in time. And we call them an idiot. Why? Because that's what we do. We, we don't have to verbalize it, but this is what we think. But by doing that, you've just labeled the image of God to be an idiot. But we did not label the behavior. Because the behavior is what we should react to and not the individual. So this is what we do as Christians. So we have to look within ourselves to come out of ourselves to see that person the way Christ saw them. The other thing too is when we do things like this, 
labeling. We lessen our strength and our authority to evangelize because we have already labeled that person as beyond redemption. We don't want even to speak to that person because they upset us. So we have to refrain and change our minds and our behaviors to the people and things that God has made. Like the sinner, he has made all of us. But by his grace, he has brought us out of ourselves and into his kingdom. So we too should want the same for any and everyone that we come in contact with. So we too need to be like Christ, that model. And we can take a page from Paul in Philippians where for a brief moment while teaching the people at that time and now transcending to us here now he's teaching about Christ using him as the example of humility and you can see this I don't know if you, you guys like music, but you can see this in, in like a crescendo, like, like something that's coming together, but it has all the instruments bringing everything together. And for a brief moment, he says, there, therefore. So you don't have to worry about what therefore stands for, what it means, or therefore, because you have to go look for therefore. You just say simply for this reason. And when you find that, you'll see what the reason is. For this reason, this is why you should do this. He says, For this reason, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. So in the absence of seeing Christ in our visual, or in the absence of seeing Pastor John, in your visual we should be obedient to the spirit see what Paul is saying in terms of humility so when we, when we are driving that would not be an issue the things that are pet peeves are not issue anymore we would not take those things and bring them to heart all those things would be apart from us because oftentimes if you are doing something illegal and the law is standing next to you you stop Right. However, as you are aware, I'm sure there are cameras in Barbados, and I've seen a lot. We have cameras all over the United States, and um, they're not really a deterrent to stopping people from doing stuff that they want to do. They're there to catch people after they do that. Right. But Jesus is not that kind of a Jesus. He's Jesus for you to stop while he's there. Because if you continue in that vein, it means that you have to ask yourself a question. Am I really saved? Because we sin. We repent. And the idea here is the changing of our minds. Not the continuum of that sin. So, he speaks here of what we are supposed to do in terms of our salvation. Working out our salvation. And again, we are working it out in this life, in this daily life. 
um, let's say in their or in our vernacular this struggle where we get up in the morning we have kids to deal with and they're not cooperating we have to go to work we have to do this we have to do that we have to do this and it becomes very very frustrating you have a well not you but we, we my wife and I we have a, a hateful what we call it fellowship because you guys don't do that you're young we, don't, we do that we have hateful fellowship when you leave home and you're frustrated but what God does is that he brings grace to you where that communication is there and then we continue on and we can still present Christ to anyone who is watching this is our life this is the life of Christians we are no better than anyone else when it comes to living the only thing that we have in our lives is Christ and him crucified but we live the daily struggle because he has left us here so that we can be light to shine to the unsafe and I speak of the divine institution of this church this thing we call church and our, our, our job now is to examine ourselves to examine ourselves daily we can't do this at the end of the week because sometimes we offend people not knowing we, we have that way about us we become like sandpaper some are rough some are smooth but it's still sandpaper so you rub people sometimes the wrong way you have to stop and ask God I hope I didn't offend anyone today and if I did would you please forgive me because we are a work in progress we still have our sin nature with us we are changed yes but we still have that sin nature with us so we need to ask God on a daily basis for his enabling grace to help us to be on the right side of Christ now I want to look around I see that you have entered into a new building and I know that God has blessed you in this way I would say that you have a lot more room uh, you have not you have planted a tent you have uprooted that tent and now you have planted root which means that you are here to stay the tent that you had planted was in transition because you were in the community college now you are here and some say are we going to church some say what a nice building you have I say yes you have a beautiful building but the church is not this building this building is a construct of wood and stone and if it was empty it would just be a building the church is not man-made I didn't form a church founded a church started a church made a church it is not man-made we understand the idea of 
a geographical location of a church. So we say, when you go down the street and you pass Brother Howell's church, that's the geographical location. So everybody knows where you're going or I'll be at Brother Howell's church. And we understand that. But from scripture, the church is not man-made. Neither is the church man-centered. I'm not going to put my finger on it because you guys know what I'm talking about. The church is not man-centered. We see a lot of that when it comes to church now in these modern times. And some would place Peter as being sort of the center of the church because of this statement that he made to Jesus. But I'm not going to argue on Peter and the nuances of the word rock and petro and petrus and give you all the Greek terminology to associate with it because it just makes me look like an idiot. Right? So, I'm going to tell you why it is not man-made and man-centered. And I'm going to use the scriptures to tell you this. Uh, can somebody read Hebrews chapters 11 verses 10? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Yes, and that was Abraham, and he's looking for this new city because he was asked by God to move out from where he was in the land of paganism, a land with so many gods that today we still have some of those gods. Excuse me. We still have this same concept or this idea given to us in Revelations Something now that we, we, us here, would be looking for a new city. Right? That new city is what we would be looking for. But in Revelations also it tells you that this city was not built by hands. So the church is designed and its designer, this builder, there's no other than God. This church was established long before you and I even had a twinkle in our parents' minds, or even their parents having a twinkle of them long before that. So this church, the church, is not man-centered. If we say Peter, and those who say Peter have to consider and they really do. They really have to consider Peter being human, being instrumental in the establishment, and then we have to observe Peter in his word. And Peter in Second Peter three fourteen, you don't have to read this, or fifteen and fifteen. He was, you know, being diligent to found himself, to be, being, be diligent to be found by him. That's part of what he, what he re writes there. He says, being diligent to be found by him. 
You notice Peter didn't say me, being diligent to be found by me. He was instructing them about their way of life. He was telling them about living in this present world that we're in so that when Christ comes, that we too have to be diligent to be found this way in him. Not in Peter. In him. So Peter again acknowledges that this is not made by him. The church is not made by him. He is not the center of the church. He says here again, he says, he did not say to be found in me, but rather to be found in him, Christ. Seen in verse 15, also Peter, with every believer, he joined with every believer to say, our Lord. You notice he didn't put himself up as being the Pope. You don't have to kiss his ring. Because we have that acknowledgement of God through Christ. He did not elevate himself over the body of the church. So we understand now that Christ is the head of the church. So that we realize or recognize that the church is a divine organism. The church is a body of believers who God in his sovereignty has chosen. One thing I want to put here is that I don't know if you guys know, but um, God really don't have a stamp that he puts on a church and say, hey, you belong to that denomination. There's no denominational structure or stamp that God's institute with the church. The church is a whole unit. Now, don't get me wrong. Denominations are good. Denominations are good because it brings structure. It brings unity of fellowship with believers. It pulls resources so that we can do more in the kingdom of heaven. And in this life here, not in the kingdom of heaven, but in this life here that we have. This is good when it comes to denominations. Where we fall short in, term, in terms of denominations is when we become isolated till we become insulated. So we don't see, like myself, we say, um, I, I went to Nyack. Bible College and we had many people from all walks of faith, life, the whole nine um, different religions but they came in to study theology biblical studies and when I listened to their professional faith where God met them and brought them in and then when I look today, uh, I can give an example of a a friend Um, we were in ATS together, Atlanta Theological Seminary, and um, he he right originally lives in, lived in Saint Philip, but he lives in Brooklyn now, and um, he came out of seminary and started to pastor a church in Brooklyn. He has now started founded two other churches in Nigeria, so you have 
men and women who are tirelessly working to promote the gospel. What happens is when we become isolated, we don't see what's happening there. We start again with our labeling. And that labeling does not allow us to see what's going on, what's beyond our walls. We can only see what we do. So, that's where I say we need to get away from the isolation till we become insulated. Because when we're insulated, we say it is us four and no more. Me, my wife, and my two children. I got four, so that's it. Right? So, but we have to look outside of ourselves and see that it is more to us here than we think it is. In New York, if you see a man on a soapbox, what we call a soapbox, is a box that is placed on like a little platform. And he will step on the soapbox with a microphone and he is screaming, repent, Jesus is at hand. And we look at him and we think that he's a mad man. Christians do that. Believers do that. Because that's not something that they would do. But I can put a sermon here together and I can put three points together and I can just speak to you. But that man is on a soapbox in the middle of Times Square speaking to thousands. And he's telling everyone to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. What do you think is more powerful? That God is speaking to the unseen. Yes, I'm speaking to you. And we're all learning together. But the unsaved is who needs the gospel. They need Christ. Now, if we think like Jesus, and here's where we think. We think like Jesus. And I don't know if you remember the story but I'm going to bring it back to your memory because I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. This is a reminder. In Luke 9, 49, John said to Jesus, Master, and this is after, you know, this is part, basically after they had, Jesus had sent them out as missionaries, so to speak, to preach the gospel and they came back. But in coming back, they, all these stories they were telling Jesus. But one of these stories was, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. The one who is not against you is for you. See, this is how we do church. Because it's not sounding like us or being like us. We think they're not us. But we have to do the discernment and go to Christ and discern who is. Because He's the only one that has that information. 
our thoughts. Again, should be like the rabbi, teacher, Gamaliel. You'll find him speaking a word of warning to the council about the early church. You know, it's fascinating when you read and you see the persecution of the church from the early times. And you see where we are right now. And, and he said to the council, you know, making it known his opposition against what they wanted to do. But what he did was he invoked God in it. And he said to them, you know, if it is of God, you know, you might find yourself being against God. So, again, our churches need to understand where we are in this life, this present day. He also understood in this statement, when you read it, you'll see it, it's suggested there plain that he understood the construct of God and those constructs of men. Why he could say that? Because he knew the constructs of God are built to last. And the construct of men always, always fail. So, it's better to wait on God to see than to belittle or criticize. Just continue with the work of God. And that's the essence of what he's trying to tell us here. Just continue doing what you're doing. If it is of God, it will stay. Because we don't want to be on the wrong side of God. And if it's not of God, it will be away. So we don't have to touch it. That's not a part of our worry. But somehow we worry about everything else in this world but the gospel. One of the things that in God's sovereign, sovereign plan... And this is how we can trace this divinity of the church. And this is by prophetic utterance. Luke tells us this in 317 uh, to 26. Uh, can someone read Acts? Sorry, someone read Acts 317 to 26, please. Those who came after him also proclaimed these days. 
You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now we see there that the phrase, all families of the earth. This all families of the earth is the separation between the Jews and us. That the offspring, Jesus, would bless us, the offspring of Abraham. The offspring of Abraham, sorry, would bless us, the Gentiles, the nations of all the earth. And we are part of that unit right now. So we see from the beginning of time, our time, that this prophecy that we stand in the fullness of right now is divined in nature. It is not something that we can see that was invented, instituted, but it's something that God himself has put into place for each and every one of us who call on the name of Christ. The very rock that was spoken of in Matthew is the very rock that we call Christ. And he is the rock of our church. When, Jesus, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, this profound statement set Christ to be the very foundation of the church. Interestingly enough, this foundational pillar is one in which all believers hold fast to that Christ is the Son of the living God. Because if you have Christ and you don't have the Father, we know you're not saved. We know you're not one of us. If you have the Father and you don't have the Son, we know you're not one of us. But what we know is that Christ is the Son of the living God. That is foundational with every believer, every Christian that is foundational with. That is a marker. And we know that. So in Peter's statement, it's not only Christ is the foundation of the church, but he's the foundation even of our thinking, of our thoughts, because we are the church. John, in 2 John, uses the Father and Christ as an endearing term. He writes the letter and he spoke to them as being in Christ through the Father or in the Father through Christ. And he gives both in terms of how they write and how they respond. We see the same thing with Paul and his letters. Most of them actually, with the exception of Galatians. But when he writes, he writes through Jesus the son of and he would always say stuff like that in those phrases 
because he greets people that way. He wants us to know that this is our foundation, that Christ is the Son of God. So when you look, don't just glance over the greeting. When you look, understand what the greeting means also, because that greeting is foundational to all of us. It helps us to put in our minds, not only the back, but the front also, that Jesus is the Son of God, and not God, a living God. This affords us insight of God. This understanding of the belief of Jesus being the Son of God is tied to all believers. The church, again, is a divine organism. It is also a living organism. Organism, As we have example history in our Bible. All gods in the past, you look at our Bible history, all gods in the past were all dead. Whether it be, let's say, in human form, um, metal, wood, they're all dead. These objects, they're dead in form, but they're all dead. So, we have a living God. And this is what separates believers also from this understanding of God and the living God. So when we see the Son of the Living God, we have to understand why it is also there. It is there to keep reminding us over and over and over again that God is alive. The divine nature of Christ is what makes all believers the church. Let me say that again. The divine nature of Christ is what makes all believers the church we can have some music here we can dance we can have a good time but we are still not a group we came to party but it's still not a group we can be here for a lecture but it's still not a group. We are still not all believers. When it comes to Christ, doesn't matter where you are because of his divine nature. So, Brother Howell could go on vacation to Dubai, to Dubai. But he's still in Christ as we here are in Christ. You see how the divine nature works? It helps us to understand the value that we have in Christ. A divine organism, even as the growth of the church is divine in nature, as the Spirit of God works in the hearts to draw people to himself. Um, and, and I speak of divine in nature and in nature because of the way how the church grows well, you know we hear people sometimes just speak of 
how they brought someone to Christ. That's something that we hear often. I want us to think about something else. Um, I don't know if you have thought of it this way, but what about you bringing Christ, we bringing Christ to someone? Because actually, when we speak to someone who don't know Christ, or we are witnessing, what we do is present Christ to that person. We don't bring that person to Christ. You see the flip side? Because when we present Christ, we have now allowed ourselves to step back, give Christ, the Holy Spirit, the power to do the job that they're supposed to do, the job within you and I, because how did we get here? We heard the gospel. So someone presented the gospel. We heard, and the Holy Spirit did what it was supposed to do because we weren't shadowed 24 hours a day for a whole week or a whole month. What happened was the Holy Spirit moved in our hearts and moved us to Christ. So, you see the flip side. Bringing Christ to the people, not the other way around. Yes, we understand what they're saying. Don't get me wrong. Don't go arguing with people now. You don't do this. No. We understand. But, in, the, in how we are thinking about our lives here, we can actually see the difference when we bring Christ to the people. It also gives the glory unto God because it's sort of seen that we are boasting of what we are or our exploits, you know, we, we conquered these people, right, for God, and we are, you know, pushing ourselves up. But when we do it the other way, we are actually humbling ourselves and stepping back and God comes in and he takes all the glory because we did our part presenting him. And that's just a different way to look at it. When we preach Christ or we tell someone about Christ, we're introducing them to Christ. We're saying for the first time, meet my Christ, the one who can save you from your sins. Right? And this is what we do as a church. I'm getting to the end. I don't think I'm going to go all the way down to the three because you'll still be here. Right? It is by people hearing and receiving the word of God that the work of God and the grace of God is performed in the lives of people. One of the things we can do with ourselves to look at how divine this church we call church is is how we study the transformation of people and we don't have to look far we can look at ourselves and see how did we come to salvation in Christ anytime you figure out let me know that a good God like who he is would save someone like me and I don't know how he did it I can't tell you what happened I, did, I wasn't hit over my head or, you know, with, with a brick or something like that I know it happened you know and, and we can all look at us, ourselves and we will see 
Listen to someone's testimony. You'll see how different the transformation was. And yet, if you studied it, it is impossible to put in any ology, whether it be theology or whatever, because it is still a mystery. This is why Paul can reach out to us by his word and say, Oh, what a wretched sinner I am. Why would he choose to think that way? Because he saw himself in the reflection of Christ. And now he knew salvation is a mystery. It is only of God. If we knew how it worked, we would have packaged it and sold it. But because it is of God and it's still a mystery, then, and only then, we can come to Christ. I want to say, as as a body of believers gathered here this morning, you see believers throughout the world and through the lens of Paul, he says, for there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. What is he saying? That God doesn't have a ruler where he sits between the Christians and saying, oh, you are on that side and you are on that side. If you are his, you are his. There's no distinction. In God's kingdom, we're all the same. Because he has made us male and female. We're not beneath or above each other when it comes to God in his kingdom. So our mindset should be seen through the lens of the early church fathers like Paul. And he is the Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all. And that's all who he calls. So for the young ladies, he has bestowed the same riches on you as he's bestowed on the young men. Because God is a God of all. Now, we're going back to the divine nature of this church. And you'll find that in Romans, Paul goes on in chapter 11, 11, so he says, so I ask, and he's talking about this distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's looking at our salvation. And he's going back into biblical history. And Paul the scholar says, So I ask that they stumble in order that they might fall. And he's talking about the Jews and their salvation, their rejecting of Christ in that day. He says, by no means. He says, rather... Through their trespass. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. And you have to stop and wonder, why is Paul saying what he's saying? But then you can look at Paul's life and understand, get a glimpse of what he's talking about. 
God told Paul, Paul, I'm setting you apart to speak to kings and queens and princesses and those people, people with authority. And you will go to the Gentiles. Paul is speaking to us also. But in Paul's life, if we put ourselves this Western life in Paul's life, and someone had told us with our intellect that we have that we would be used to speak to people in high authority and that kind of stuff, we would think that this journey would somehow give us the kind of access that is unlike any other, that we would have a suit and tie on, and we can go and knock on any door that's with authority, and we would be ushered in. We'd be called in. We would have a, our, our phone. We would have two phones, one red and one for everybody else. The red one would be for those in high places. But then, when you look at Paul's life, that's not the journey that he took. He took a very, very, very dramatic, dramatic turn because he was in prison. He was stoned. He was beaten. But you ask yourself, God, what happened here? You, I thought you told me everything. But yet still, when you look at the scripture, he did everything that God told him that he was going to do. God told us. He gave us this divine nature of the church, but he did not tell us how we were going to get it. Actually, he did. But we have to understand what he did. He told us that it is because of the trespasses of the Jews that we too would be blessed. This is how we are blessed. So, you can thank the Jew. Right? But here, God, in his plan, in his overall plan, this did not catch God by surprise. God, in his plan, brought us, gave us that blessing that he promised from the beginning of time, of our time. Us being the blessing of the offspring of the Jew, and he did that, to make the Israel jealous. Think about it. You know how, what a privilege it is that God would see fit, as he said in his scripture, to graft us in. You know where we were? And this is why I say the church is divine in nature. Because where we were, we were apart, away from God. Because when God called Abraham, he called the people. But in his calling, he called and said, look, I'm going to bless the nations of the earth also. But that blessing came at an expense. Yes, an expense to Christ. But the ones who God has not called in terms of those Jews that lost, that rejected Christ. We now have maintained that blessing, has gathered that blessing, so to speak, from God. That is a wonderful blessing. See, that God showed mercy on us, the Gentiles. This act of mercy by salvation in Christ has given all believers, again, all believers, life in Christ. As the scripture teaches, God is not a God of the dead, 
but a God of the living. And we know that there are times throughout history that we can see the enemy trying to frustrate the plan of God. You can start from Genesis, you'll see the golden calf. You see how angry God was with the golden calf? That he brought them out of bondage and they turned away from him and rebelled by becoming glued to another God. Remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh, God had put him there for that purpose so that the name of God would be echoed all throughout the land. But Pharaoh, too, tried to frustrate the plans of God. The Babylonians, what did the Babylonians do? Took the people into captivity. But remember, this captivity was not one that caught God by surprise because this was prophesied. But when you look at it, it frustrates the plan of God. The Romans, the temptation of Jesus. And now, now, this day, the division between the brethren. Think about it. So this frustration is not one that started yesterday. It started a long time ago. Whenever you get a chance, you can read the priestly prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. And he did pray for us. But when you go down a little further, right to the very end, he prayed for something that we need to do so that the world will know that he is in us. That is to love one another. This church, this divine construct, this divine organism did not happen by happenstance. It did not happen because it was one of the offerings of God. It happened because God ordained it to happen. It is divine in nature. And when we look with all the frustration and all the things that have gone on with the church, the church is still standing. You know, the church is standing not by people who are dead, but by a Christ who has given to us that promise of eternal life. So that he too and us will be living way past what we call eternity. And the construct, the divine nature of this church is everlasting, not only in this life, but in a life that is promised to each and every one of us.